This is the Westwards podcast, a fortnightly production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. Western Sydney is located on the traditional lands of the Darug, Gunungurra and Tharawal nations, and we acknowledge and offer our respects to all Indigenous people and to their Elders past, present and emerging. Opinions and views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the Westwards organisation. If you'd like to ask questions, offer feedback or simply learn more about what we do at Westwards, please visit westwards.com.au. All right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Westwards podcast for today, Sunday the 13th of March 2022. My name is James Roy. I am your host today, as I am every fortnight. I uh, am happy to bring you the podcast today from the Blue Mountains, where it's actually, it hasn't rained today. I think, I thought it was going to. And we heard the other day, just the other day, that the mayor of uh, the Blue Mountains, Mark Greenhill, made the point that I think it was, the number I heard was, We've had 10 days without rain in the Blue Mountains since Christmas. Now, that sounds extreme, doesn't it? But it has been relentless. But I am very happy to say and relieved to say and grateful to say that we are in a very good place compared to what a lot of people are experiencing in other parts of the country with the floods, Lismore and, and southeast Queensland and so forth. So I'm going to be talking in just a moment about uh, something to do with the floods and the, and the dramatic uh, events that have taken place. Something that you can do with, in partnership with us, with Westwards, uh, and we, uh, I'll be talking about that and also talking about some of the other events that we have recently taken part in, for not least of all, the first live in-person public event that we've held at the new premises of Westwards at 41 Hunter Street in Parramatta. Now, this this building is a beautiful old building. It was originally the Presbyterian Manse, one of the churches in, in Parramatta. And we really love this building. We love what it offers in terms of not just the office space, but the performance space and the activity space. And, and, and the, <laughs> the vicinity is very nice. I mean, it's it's literally a five-minute walk from, not even five-minute walk from Hunters from Church Street, the Eat Street of Parramatta. It's across the road from Westfield. The stations nearby. We've got cafes, restaurants, parks, you name it, uh, and it's uh, very easily accessible. So, we'd love you to come and have a look at our new centre when you get a chance. Maybe come along to one of the public events and we will be advertising more of those in the future. And I'm going to be talking about the most recent one of those in just a moment. But first, let's talk about the floods. Now, this has been such a terrible time for so many people. And for those of us who, who love books, and I can only assume that most of the people who are listening to this podcast are fans of books and stories... It was really heartbreaking to see those photos coming out of Lismore of the library there with uh, the floods had gone through the, the library and the books were just being thrown out the windows into big sodden piles. 
And uh, as I say, we're, we, we love books at Westwards and we are sure that you do too. And so we would very much like to help if we can. Now, there's a couple of ways that you can help. Uh, one of those is a charity auction for Lismore Flood Recovery. And that has been organised by the author Zani Louise and genera- generously donated to by the children's literature community. And all, pre-so- all proceeds go to the restoration of Lismore, to the libraries, the galleries, and the other cultural and community groups that need additional support. You know, arts and culture are very, very important. And I know that they're not the same as food and shelter. Of course they're not. But they are very important in terms of people's identity and community spirit and and all the rest of it. Now, there's a whole bunch of auction items up for grabs in this particular charity auction. And you can, including advanced signed copies of not-yet-released books, there's some, there's some original art there, some manuscript assessments and so forth. So go to our website, westwards.com.au, for more information about how you can get involved in that. The other thing you can do is go to the Dimmix Children's Charities site, dimmixchildrenscharities.grassrootswithaz.com. And they've started a monetary appeal to buy books for the victims of the floods across New South Wales and Queensland. And there's also a couple of other things listed on our website. Or we are in the process of getting together books that people feel they can spare. Now, ideally, they'll be good books in good condition, either new or close to new condition, and books that are current enough that they will be of interest. It's going to be an incredibly expensive process to, to restock a library like Lismore's, and anything will help. So if you would like to get involved and to help in some way, feel free to email us at admin at westwords.com.au and we would love to have your support and your help so that we can contribute as well to the Lismore City Library and and the other libraries, the school libraries up there too, that have been really badly affected. So we would love to get involved and we'd love you to get involved, so please feel free to get in touch with us and find out how you can help. Now, we had our first live public event at the New Hunter Street premises last week, and it was on a Thursday night. It wasn't a launch, it was a conversation between Yumna Kassab, whose new book, Australiana, has just been released by Ultimo Press. And it was in conversation, Yumna was in conversation with ABC Arts broadcaster Simone Wetton. As I say, it was the first live public event in our new premises, and it, but it certainly won't be the last, and we'd like to thank everyone who attended. We had about, well, about 30 people there, and many of the people stayed back to buy copies of the book, and uh, book sales were thanks to the Little Lost Bookshop in Katoomba. And we just want to thank everyone who came out. We want to thank uh, Yumna for coming out and talking about her work so honestly and with such freshness and uh, to Simone for her thoughtful uh, conversation that she had. We recorded this program or or this particular event. It will be available on our Westwards YouTube channel, Westwards Official, fairly soon. Sometime this week we will be finishing cutting that together and putting it up and so we'll mention that in the newsletter next week. Uh, as as to where you can go, there'll be a link so you can go and actually watch the event, which we recorded and 
we had a, a lovely evening and we, as, again, very grateful to those people who came out on the night. And uh, I look forward to sharing some of that with you once the video has all been cut together. While we're talking about videos and people doing readings and that sort of thing, I'd like to share with you a, a small part of a reading uh, on the Westwards Writing Western Sydney channel, which is part of the Westwards official YouTube channel. And this is Linda Javen reading from her book, The Shortest History of China. I'll just read the little blurb here. From Kung Fu to Tofu, Tea to Trade Roots, Sages to Silk, China has influenced cuisine, commerce, military strategy, aesthetics and philosophy, philosophy across the world for thousands of years. And its history is sprawling and gloriously messy. It is full of heroes who are villains, prosperous ages and violent rebellions, cultural vibrancy and censorious impulses, rebels, loyalists, dissidents and wits. The story of women in China from the earliest warriors to 20th century suffragettes is rarely told, and historical spectres of corruption and disunity which have brought down many a mighty ruling house continue to haunt the People's Republic today. Modern China is seen variously as an economic powerhouse, an icon of urbanisation, a propaganda state or an aggressive superpower seeking world domination. Linda Javen, who reads for us in a moment, distills a vast history into a short readable account that tells you what you need to know from China's philosophical origins to its political system, to the COVID-19 pandemic and where the People's Republic of China is likely to lead the world. It's a pasty history of China that can be read in an afternoon but will transform your perspective for a lifetime. So Linda Javen has been studying Chinese politics, language and culture for more than 40 years and she's been a foreign correspondent in China and is co-editor of the China Story Yearbook and is an associate of the Australian Centre on China in the World at the Australian National University and is the author of 12 books. So this book was published by Black Ink in 2021. The book is called The Shortest History of China and here's Linda Javen now reading the introduction from his book. Hi, I'm Linda Javen and I'm the author of 12 books. Uh, my latest one, which I'm going to be reading from today, is called The Shortest History of China and it was published by Black Ink in Melbourne last year, 2021. Um, it's being published in, uh, I don't know how many countries now, Russian and German and Greek and Japanese translations are underway as well as Italian and Portuguese and it's already out in the US and the UK. So I'm really, really thrilled. One of the reasons I'm so thrilled is that this has always been my dream to write a history like this. Uh, I studied Chinese university more or less by accident at university. I sort of stumbled into a class and I loved it so much. I was so immediately entranced that I had to keep going with it and it became my major. I didn't know what I was going to ever do with it because at the time China was pretty closed. There, were, there wasn't the economic reform period hadn't started uh, and so you couldn't really imagine doing anything but becoming a diplomat or a spy and I didn't think I was very cut out for either of those <laughs> occupations not being terribly diplomatic or discreet. <laughs> so anyway I did become a writer um, and after so many years, I have actually done it. I've done, I've written the book that was my dream. It was to write a popular history of China and hopefully get other people as, I suppose, charmed by Chinese history as I was. And I think there's a real call for that at the moment when in geopolitical terms, there's a lot of talk about China as an enemy and we need to get 
beyond that to understand the whole country and I think that's really really important and never more important than in times like this so I'm going to read to you from the introduction there is no Chinese curse that goes may you live in interesting times in any case it would be redundant Chinese history simmers with larger-than-life characters philosophical arguments and political intrigues military conflicts and social upheavals artistic invention and technological innovation it progresses in twists turns leaps and returns Chinese historical records are long and deep stretching back at least 3500 years their themes and lessons, as well as the memories of wounds and triumphs, pulsate under the surface of contemporary Chinese life, language, culture, and politics. The increasingly key role the People's Republic of China plays in global affairs makes an awareness of this history essential, for it is the key to understanding China today. Take, for example, the insistence of the Chinese Communist Party that Hong Kong and Taiwan, along with Tibet, Xinjiang, and islands in the South China Sea, are part of China. The intensity with which the party pursues unification has roots in the humiliation and semi-colonialization of China by imperialist powers in the 19th century and the civil war of the 20th century. It also speaks to violent periods of division that it occurred as long ago as 2,000 years, but have left their stamp on the national psyche. That the first great unification in 221 BCE, which also involved the epic standardization of weights, measures, and the written language, came with a high dose of tyranny, is also part of this history's complex legacy. Nothing about China is small in scale. With some 1.4 billion people, the PRC boasts the world's largest population, nearly one in every five people on Earth, not counting another 45 million people worldwide who identify as Chinese, uh, are, belong to China. At 9.3 million square kilometers, it occupies the third largest landmass of any country after Russia and Canada and shares borders with 14 different nations. The PRC is the world's largest trading nation and second largest economy, a manufacturing powerhouse and an assertive military power, its army bigger than any other national armed force. It plays a steadily increasing role in global institutions and international affairs. The PRC's trillion-dollar Belt and Road Initiative, with projects in countries as diverse as Afghanistan, Ecuador, Bahrain, Bulgaria, Ethiopia, and Vietnam, is the most ambitious global infrastructure building project in history. Domestic schemes are often no less monumental, whether they involve constructing giant dams, establishing pervasive systems of surveillance, or creating the longest open sea fixed link on the planet, the 55-kilometer-long Hong Kong-Zhuhai-Macau Bridge. The PRC is also a leader in artificial intelligence, green technology, and communications network infrastructure. It aims to be a world leader in science and technology by 2050. The rise of the People's Republic has inspired a range of reactions abroad, including concern about political influence operations and human rights violations. Beijing's insistence that it defines human rights differently to the West does little to reassure its critics. Although the party claims to speak on behalf of all 1.4 billion Chinese nationals, history makes it clear that the people of this great land have 
always embraced a range of intellectual, philosophical, political, and cultural positions. China is diverse in numerous ways. If more than 90% of the population claim Han ethnicity, the rest belong to 55 other ethnic groups, including Uyghurs, Mongolians, and Tibetans. Many speak distinct languages and retain their own religious and cultural practices, despite what we can see is quite intense pressure to assimilate. The Han, too, may identify with different regional cultures and subcultures and speak discrete and even mutually unintelligible dialects, including Shanghainese and Cantonese, the last claiming more native speakers, over 62 million, than Italian. The national language, Putonghua, sometimes called Mandarin in English, is a constructed tongue. The PRC's own Ministry of Education admitted in 2013 that Putonghua was spoken with native fluency by less than 10% of the population and barely at all by 30%, though it did aim to change that. Northerners prefer wheat and southerners rice, but not always. Some Chinese never touch chili, while others can't cook without it. Beijingers complain that Shanghainese are mercantile and petty. Shanghainese snipe back that Beijingers are big-hearted but crude. All stereotypes fall apart in the face of Chinese diversity. The citizenry of the PRC includes subsistence farmers and jet-setting billionaires, Buddhist monks and nightclub owners, passionate feminists and steely patriarchs, avant-garde artists and aerospace engineers, yak herders and film animators, pro-democracy activists and loyal communists. They may live in towering apartment blocks, courtyard houses built to a 2,000-year design, European-style villas, longhouses, stilt houses, yurts, or even modified caves. They may be fans of Peking opera, Western opera, punk, throat singing, canto pop, chess, video games, Korean soap operas, calligraphy, photography, ballroom dancing, fan dancing, all or none of the above. The heavily urbanized landscape of China's 23 provinces and five autonomous regions, Guangxi, Inner Mongolia, Tibet, Ningxia, and Xinjiang, is as varied as its people ranging from frozen steppes to tropical islands, jungles, deserts, fertile farmland, tall mountains, and low floodplains. The PRC boasts several of the most populous cities on earth. Its four provincial-level municipalities include Chongqing, home to more than 30 million, and Shanghai, with over 26 million. Aside from the Yangtze, the third longest river in the world, six of Asia's major rivers originate in Tibet, the Indus, the, Gang the Ganges, the Brahmaputra, Irrawaddy, Salween, and Mekong. The construction of upstream dams, mines, and irrigation projects, and even the afforestation of the Tibetan Plateau, all have implications for the water security of almost half the world's population. President Xi Jinping's pledge to the United Nations in September 2020 that China will reduce its net carbon emissions to zero by 2060, if followed through, could help address climate change and determine the future of the planet itself. A disciple once asked Confucius, who lived between 551 and 479 BCE, what would be the first thing he'd do if he were in charge? Confucius replied, rectify the names. He explained, if the names are not correct, if they do not match realities, language has no object. If language is without an object, action becomes impossible, and therefore all human affairs disintegrate and their management becomes pointless and impossible.
The first appearance of the name China in a European language is in a 16th century Spanish text. The word seemingly derives from references to the ancient Qin dynasty via Sanskrit and Japanese. In Chinese, the most common expression for China in the sense of nation is Zhongguo. The expression dates back 3,000 years to the ancient compilation of poetry and song, the Book of Odes. Zhong means middle or center. The second character, Guo, contains a mouth representing the people, a dagger axe signifying defense within an enclosure called a wei. And I have all of this in the book. It's kind of hard to <laughs> show you here. Um, so what Guo, this, this nation, originally referred to was not a nation, but a fortified city. It only later came to mean a kingdom and finally a nation state. Although Zhongguo is often translated as Middle Kingdom, Zhong originally referred to the center of the kingdom or the city, rather than implying that the kingdom itself was at the center of the world. Interesting, right? Another popular way to refer to China is Zhonghua. Hua can signify splendor, radiance, or prosperity. It was the name of one of the two ancient tribes of settlers along the Yellow River from which Han Chinese claimed descent. Zhonghua is less about a specific territory than a civilization, encompassing notions of myth, legend, history, and culture. So it embraces the broader Chinese world, radiating out from the mainland, Taiwan, and Hong Kong, to diasporic communities from Canberra to Kuala Lumpur, Singapore to Senegal. Although there are other phrases that signify China, it's reasonable to say that the idea of China lies somewhere between Zhongguo and Zhonghua, so it was Linda Javen reading from her book, The Shortest History of China, published by Black Ink, and you can get that at all good bookstores. So, thank you to Linda for reading for us, and uh, you can find that reading and many, many others on our YouTube Westwards Official channel. Westwards Official is a title, and uh, you can find, as I say, you can find readings and performances and Poets Corner, and the Slams, and all sorts of things. You can also find the videos that find their way onto the Clubhouse. The Clubhouse is the children's website, and we currently have a guest blogger on there. Mick Elliott is doing the guest blogging there. And he's having a wonderful time, as are the young people who are going to there to check it out. But we have a lot of digital assets that you can check out, so please do so. So before we go, I'd like to just share a couple of bits of news with you. The There are two events that we were supposed to be having. Uh, one was going to be on this Saturday. They've just gone, but of course that got... It's a bit late now, but that was already been postponed. The Blake Poetry Prize was postponed, and that will now be on the 26th of March. You can get tickets by going to our website. And also the planned film screening of The Tree of Ecstasy and Unbearable Sadness by Matt Otley, which is which was due to be playing at the Regent Cinema in Wollombar, up in the north coast, has been postponed because of the floods to Wednesday the 30th of March. And tickets are $10, and it's a fundraiser for the local art store in town. So please uh, get along to our website to find details for how you can uh, get a ticket to that if you happen to be up in that part of the world. It's a wonderful book, it's a wonderful film, terrific music, uh, and... The money's going to a good cause. Writers groups are all still going. 
the uh, LGBTIAQ plus um, writers group is going, as are the African-Australian writers groups and the general fiction and non-fiction writers groups. Once again, westswords.com.au for all the information you might need. I just mentioned Mick Elliott uh, in the clubhouse. The West Side Poetry Slam is... Uh, is available, or at least there is a sampler from the West Side Poetry Slam, and we are in the process of negotiating when that is going to be going back to being uh, full or hybrid, but in person. And we will probably have a date to give you next time we have a newsletter. That's the plan anyway. So that's it from us for this fortnight. I'll be back in a week with another mini masterclass. But until then, please stay safe. Please consider donating generously to the various flood appeals. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty nasty out there, folks. So uh, people can use any help that you can offer, be it in terms of monetary aid or books for the library or uh, going to one of the events or bidding on one of the events or one of the auctions and raising money in that way, but every bit helps, and uh, the sense of community is important, and we would love to see as many people from Western Sydney contribute in that way. So that's it from us for now, and until we speak again, as we always say, happy creating! Backbeat.